for Tuesday, September 29th, 2020. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE, answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, a widely available coronavirus vaccine won't mean an immediate return to pre-pandemic life. Some experts say measures like wearing masks and avoiding crowds could be necessary a full two years from now. People who think that we get the shot and everything will be like it was November uh, 2019, I think that's a false perception of the future. Dr. Georges Benjamin, head of the American Public Health Association, joins me to discuss what the future of the pandemic could look like in the U.S. and how our response has looked so far. That's next. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. Last week, as the U.S. counted 200,000 deaths from COVID-19, the American Public Health Association called for a reboot of the nation's response to the pandemic. Dr. Georges Benjamin, who leads the group, says the country still has a chance to keep the outbreak from becoming worse. He's with me now to lay out just what he'd like to see and to discuss the future of the pandemic in the U.S. Dr. Benjamin, thanks for joining me. Sam, I'm glad I could be here. The American Public Health Association last week released a letter calling for, in your words, a reboot in how the country is approaching the pandemic. The organization did this to mark 200,000 coronavirus deaths that we know of here in the country. Talk to me just a little bit about what that letter said. What are you really asking for here with this reboot? Well, what we're asking for our nation, particularly starting with the federal government, to really step back and respond to this pandemic in a much more holistic, science-based way. We believe that um, they have, um, in many ways, not had a unified national voice on the issue, have um, responded in a scattershot and non-strategic manner, and in effect have been chasing the epidemic since the minute it hit China, not necessarily our shores, but from the moment that we knew that we had something terrible happening somewhere on the planet. Are there specific things that you're looking for other than maybe this mindset change, specific actions you would like to see? Well, certainly we know that testing is still inadequate. So doing things more to promote testing would be important. 
providing the leadership that does not undermine the scientists so that people have confidence in both testing, contact tracing is going to be very important. Helping the public health systems in the the local and state communities build up the number of contact tracers, properly getting them trained and, and equipped so they can go out and begin to more effectively do um, contact tracing. Um, right now, we know that less than half in some communities actually get uh, successful interactions with people who've been exposed with uh, COVID-19. So there's a range of things they can do. A lot more public uh, announcements um, using radio to educate people about the disease. Treat this disease like it is the national tragedy that it is and not a uh, a political event to be managed. I want to pull back a little bit because if that's kind of what you're what you're calling for now, I mean, I think maybe this occasion, 200,000 plus deaths now is a chance to look at some of the things that went wrong. What are a few things, a few failures that, that you think have been potentially really impactful here if we think about the last, you know, seven, eight months of the pandemic? Well, well early on, not uh, recognizing this for the threat that it would be and um, not really operating a national response system in the way that I'm used to seeing uh, emergency responses managed so that they're coordinated. I think uh, diminishing the role of the Center for Disease Control and Prevention uh, and not having them giving us daily briefings on what's going on because the devil's in the details. So simply giving people a list of things to do and not explaining it to folks Um, is a, um, frankly, disease management malpractice. The fact that we are a big country, for example, and we understand that the disease hit some parts of the country much sooner and in a more severe way than others, so that people would have different experiences. We should have anticipated that each of our communities would have a different experience, therefore a different um, respect, concern for the disease, and respond differently. Um, the fact that right now we've made mask wearing, which is a, is turned out to be an extraordinarily uh, important public health intervention, which we underestimated initially. And we've never really adequately explained to people why we switched from saying don't wear a mask to absolutely wearing a mask. Uh, so people think that, you know, the decision is political and arbitrary. Well, that's not the case. And for those communities that have not yet seen large cases of COVID, for them, it's um, something that's on a TV and not something that's real. I think that over the course of the pandemic, what we've really seen is a real lack of a cohesive national strategy. And I think that's in part because we have had different parts of the country affected at different points in time. Early on, this was a pandemic that hit cities like New York very hard. Over the summer, we saw the South and the West hit a little harder. Now we're seeing the pandemic move into the Midwest. I'm wondering how a national response would even have worked, understanding that, like you said, for so many people, this is still something that's kind of theoretical. They haven't seen it firsthand. How can a country respond when that's just kind of the nature of a pandemic? It's it's not a monolith. I think you tell people just that, that this is the disease that's going to hit different parts of the country at different points in time, at different degrees of disease spread. Today, you're seeing it hit our large urban settings, 
Well, you're in a real community. You're probably not going to see as much of it because you're in a real community, but it will come to your community. And here's how you ought to prepare for it. You know, if we had done a total national shutdown for um, a few weeks, just the whole nation, just everybody went home, we would have been a, a much further ahead on this. But we are a big country, and that's difficult to do. So what we could have done is we could have done much better disease surveillance and, you know, said to everyone, it's coming your way. It's not there yet, but when it hits, this is what you need to do. And then give people the early warning to let them know, yep, it's in your community, and we can tell you that it's here. But we didn't do that. We also have had such a underinvestment in public health that even doing that would have been more difficult, but we could have done it. Are there things that have gone well here, you think? Well, you know, we, we, we struggled, but the medical response, we learned a lot very quickly around how to manage, medically manage this disease. You know, we started with, you know, intubating, putting on respirators. Anybody who we thought that had an airway problem learned very quickly that, boy, that's a bad thing to do. And we pivoted from that and learned other ways to manage their disease process. We've um, done pretty good research. Uh, around a range of therapeutics. We've been able to rule out the use of things like hydroxychloroquine. We've been able to rule in things like remdesivir and steroids. We've been able to begin getting a peek on how to manage the immunological aspects of this disease because that's one of the things that is done. The public health community continues to be the silent uh, heroes here. Um, that's, been, that's been good. Um, and I think that the early part of the research endeavor about the vaccines has been a Herculean effort. Um, I think the communication around the vaccine has been abysmal because it's become so political. But the actual science behind it has been pretty good. Now, the one failure there, of course, is getting enough communities and people of color into the vaccine studies. That has been a terrible, terrible problem that we've still not adequately addressed. But the actual science behind the vaccines and the fact that we've been able to put together so many research studies so quickly has been actually a, a, a real scientific marvel. Talk to me about what you think our prospects are for actually getting a vaccine and kind of what you think that timeline realistically looks like. The thing that I can't stop thinking about is that we've never, as I understand it, have had an effective vaccine for any kind of coronavirus. And so what scientists are really doing here is something truly new. Lots of people are working very hard on it, but a vaccine is not guaranteed. So what is your kind of outlook for the, for the future of a vaccine? We know um, some interesting things from all of the previous work on vaccines, which I think is important because people think that, um, you know, we started sometime in the early part of the year and not recognizing all of the work that had been done years before on coronaviruses. After all, we, people were looking for the magic vaccine for the common cold, which coronaviruses are one of the many viruses that cause the common cold. So those studies had been done years before we understood that, and that allowed us to jumpstart some of the vaccine work. So we, we know that you can get an effective immune response, um, in some cases with one shot, but in most cases with two. We were able to, to, um, to make an effective vaccine um, at least in terms of making an immune response. The question is, is it protective in the real world? And then how safe it is. And those studies are ongoing. And so I'm cautiously optimistic that we will know 
the safety and efficacy of the vaccines that we have, the three or four of them, the major ones that we have going through trials right now, sometime um, after the first of the year. And assuming that those go as they seem to be going in terms of safety and efficacy, then this time next year, we should be able to give shots to a, a you know broad variety of adults. We have not yet begun the studies on children. I believe there's one study for one of the vaccines that's happening overseas, but not in the United States. And we, of course, we have not started doing those studies on pregnant women. What does our life look like with a vaccine? Vaccines are certainly powerful public health tools. My impression is not like a, a switch is going to flip overnight once we have a vaccine and our lives are going to go back to pre-pandemic times. What do you think things will look like even when we have a vaccine that is, say, generally available widely to the, to the public? I believe for the next two years, we'll be still wearing a mask. We'll still be washing our hands. We'll still be trying to be physically distanced and we'll be vaccinated. And as more and more people get vaccinated, we can become a little more cavalier at some point with the non-pharmacological interventions. That's masking, hand washing and physical distancing. I think that um, it depends on whether or not this is a vaccine that you have to take once in your life or you know, once a year, we don't know that, you know, but this disease appears to be here and appears to be here for a while. It may be seasonal. It may be just one of these diseases that's around, you know, all year round. We just, again, don't know. Um, but for the next couple of years, we're going to be doing that. At some point, we will be able to remove our masks. And um, I, I suspect we as a culture will become which we were not a mask-wearing culture. We will become more of a mask-wearing culture. And I think there'll be a lot more thoughtfulness around physical distancing. We'll go back to shaking hands. We may do more fist bumps and elbow nods and things like that just because we've gotten used to doing it. I think from a practical perspective, people who think that we get the shot and everything will be like it was November uh, 2019, I think that's a false perception of the future. Um, I think we're going to be in a hybrid environment. Again, hybrid meaning mass, hand washing, physical distancing while we're all getting vaccinated. So, um, you know, we've got a ways to go here and uh, our lives are going to be forever changed from this. Two years and we're still going to be doing these things. I imagine some people are going to hear that and that's going to be shocking to them. And I think part of that shock is because people aren't talking about how fundamentally this experience, this pandemic is going to change so many parts of our lives. So should people be talking about that more? Yeah, therein lies the problem. The fact that our political leaders aren't thinking strategically enough about this. When I say we're chasing this event, this is a, another example of what I mean. We knew when we shut down, we were shutting down for a purpose in order to help get our hands around the outbreak. But the lack of a strategic vision about what the future is means that any road will get us nowheres and uh, will get us chaos. And so, you know, there's an opportunity here for us to do an amazing number of things that are good for society. For, for example, let's talk about what it does for healthcare. Um, the fact that uh, we'd always kind of did a little telemedicine and it was kind of limping along and everybody talked about the promise of telemedicine, uh, but we were forced to do it. So all of a sudden, primary care offices are doing a whole lot 
of telemedicine. That has saved people time, effort. We still need to do more quality assurance studies on it. It turns out you probably can do pretty good quality of care that way. So I, I think there's enormous opportunities for our leaders to strategically think about where we need to go because of the, this pandemic and say, yeah, it's terrible, but boy, here are some opportunities that it's given us to kind of make our communities more robust. We are going to be dealing with this for some period of time moving forward. What does a good outcome from this point look like to you? Yeah, well, you know, I, you know, we're projected to have almost 400,000 deaths going into next year. A successful outcome to me is a rapid um, reduction in those projections, much better disease control, enough testing so that positivity is way below 5%. It is a high percentage, you know, 80% of, of, of people with contact tracing being able to be found, being able to identify, knowing where they, where they may have been exposed. It's true disease containment. Uh, of this disease so that we're, we, we, our modelers can say, boy, we've got our hands around this. And more importantly for me, on the behavior side, is that more people were in mass, more people believing in the science. And when a public health official says something, people say, hear that you're giving them medical advice and don't misconstrue that you're giving them political advice. Are you optimistic we can get there? Uh, yeah, I'm optimistic we can get there. You know, I, frankly, it's, it's, it's going to require national leadership to show us the way. It's going to require state leaders to recognize that the only way we get back economically is for them to follow that pathway. It's good science, good health. Can we do it? Of course. And um, I think there are folks like me and others that are going to really continue to try to push that, um, that they do that. So for me, I'm optimistic we can get there. Dr. Georges Benjamin leads the American Public Health Association. Did You Wash Your Hands? is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app, where you can also leave us a rating and a review. That really helps other people find the show. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. Have you donated to WABE yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. You can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing. You already get so much out of public radio, so just go for it. Visit wabe.org donate and become a member right now. And thank you.